So this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. Um, and we're talking about, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a sensitive topic, but maybe just an uncomfortable topic this morning. Sorry about that. Um, when I say it's an uncomfortable topic, that's just the impression that I got, because every time someone asked me what I was going to be preaching on this Sunday, my answer was death. I got to look like I told a really awkward joke that they just weren't getting. Right, kind of some similar looks. It's like y'all just made when you heard what? Went to the wrong service this morning, right? Um, so I'll tell you what, let, let's just ease into the topic this morning, okay? We'll just ease our way into it before we get to full bore death. Y'all know what a bucket list is, right? Y'all are familiar with that topic? Just in case you don't know, it's, it's a list of things you wanna do, learn, experience, achieve, accomplish. However you make your, your list is up to you. There's things you kind of want to do or experience before you kick the bucket. That's, that's where the name comes from, right? And so I don't know where you're, you're at on this. It's kind of a bad time to be getting things off your list with travel restrictions and quarantine stuff and things being closed. But it's kind of a perfect time to be putting stuff on that list, right? And so I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to kind of share with you where I'm at on this, okay? And I don't know, I'm in like in this perfect storm of, of midlife crisis meets coronavirus cabin fever meets the graduate student version of senioritis, right? That's where I'm at. So like all of a sudden, out of the blue, I'm on Craigslist looking for off-road motorcycles because what's really important to me lately, exactly, is a backcountry trip through Utah, right, off-road, because why not, right? And that's not the only thing. I want to kayak some islands down the south of Patagonia, right? I've been trying to convince my wife to go bikepacking across Iceland because I hear the tickets are cheap enough and it's, it's a good thing to do and they like hiking there so it's well set up, right? Got all these things that I'm just throwing on my list because I'm hoping that some some point in time, like this is all gonna kind of ease up. And when it is, if I have enough money and free time, see y'all. <laughs> I'll put stuff on Instagram or something if I ever get an account, right? So that's on one end over here, right? Yet on the other end of the spectrum. Man, we live in some scary times, right? I mean, there, there's a reason that there's so f only so many of y'all here, and there's so many of y'all out there on the internet at this service this morning, right? And so, not that I just kind of want to die either, but hear me out on this. If, if, here's what I'm thinking. If we skip past all those terrifying bits in the book of Revelation, just jump over those. You get to the stuff at the end, that sounds pretty sweet, right? My whole, you know, getting to hang out with Jesus, you know, no tears, you know, there's a river of life and some trees with some fruit for healing. Are you tracking with me on this? There's no sea there. That ruins my whole kayaking plans. But I'm hoping that's metaphorical, Right? So I'm kind of caught here in, in, in this tension between the two desires, right? Because part of me's like, let's get this stuff over with. 
you know, so I can get out there and I can live life and I have so much living that I want to do and have planned to do. On the other end, I'm like, you know what, the prospects of things aren't that great. We live in a scary world even without the virus. And, you know, if Jesus could just come back, that'd be awesome, right? But uh, let's be honest, I'm, I'm not sure my stance on this is totally biblically centered, right? It's me centered, right? I want Jesus to wait to come back because I want stuff I want to do and I want him to come back because, well, this isn't good for me, right? That's where I'm at. I'm a sinner and it's okay. Um, I've been praying about it. I've been going through this, this passage this morning. And so, so that's why we're actually in this passage today. We were, my, my life group's been going through the shorter books of Paul as we meet these weeks on Zoom. Um, we went through Philippians. This is where I was convicted about, and so I'm sharing it with y'all because I think that that's a good thing to preach on. And so, as I said earlier in Philippians chapter 1, I will slowly say this in case you didn't get there earlier. We're starting kind of the end of verse 18 because that's just the way it breaks out in the Bible. That last little bit of verse 18 is where we're going to start. Hopefully you're all there because I'm starting. And Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Okay, so we're kind of going to go over this passage in light of kind of three sets of, of, of tension, or, or we can think of it as kind of dueling desires we have here, right? Um, there's the tension between the desire for deliverance and the desire for salvation. The tension between the desire for life and for death. And then there's the tension between personal desires and wants and the desires of others. And hopefully that will all make sense as we go through the passage. So we're going to start by looking again at verses 18 through 20. And I don't know what your translation of the Bible has. I use the ESV um, Mine has the word deliverance in there in verse 19. But the word deliverance is kind of a debatable translation. That word can be either deliverance as being kind of, you know, set free. Or it could mean salvation. And salvation in the sense that we usually think of salvation when we talk about it in terms of being Christians. Right? It's uh, salvation. And translators are debate how this should be understood in this passage what's Paul talking about and so which one is intended and I'm not trying to ride the fence here I think Paul kind of means it to be both sort of ways like he wants to under, wants them to understand it 
in both senses and to kind of dwell on what he's saying in light of that. Because, well, let's kind of set the stage for what's going on here. Let's give some sort of context. Uh, Paul's in prison, right? Seems to be in there a lot because that's where he wrote a bunch of his letters from. He's in prison. We're kind of used to that, right? And if you're a member of the Philippian church, the church at Philippi is the church that loves Paul, right? They're partners with him in Christ. Paul seems to love them as well. He wrote them a letter amongst other, other things, right? So if you're a member of Paul's church, Paul's in prison, he's got a trial coming up, it's a pretty important judgment he's gonna get. The verdict's kind of important because it, it is life or death, possibly, right? You're a member of his church, that you love him, or like him a lot if the L word's too strong for you, right? What are you praying for for Paul? You could have answered if you wanted to, but it's okay. Um, I'm thinking if it's me and someone I care about's in prison and they're about to go on trial, I mean, I'm praying for strength and encouragement and all that stuff, right? But I'm also kind of praying like Matlock's their lawyer, right? I think y'all would get that reference that was demographically appropriate. Um, right? Because why? What, what do I want for Paul? I want deliverance for, for him, right? Like I want him to be set free. I want him to have life. And so it seems like maybe they are praying for that. And Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And I will not at all be ashamed. Right? But then he goes on to say what? Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Right? What I think is going on here is Paul's trying to get them to think about, okay, if you're praying for my deliverance here, and you're caring about that, know what I want you to really focus on. And know what your prayers have really done for me. Because there's this whole other, other trial, there's this whole other judgment that's out there that awaits me at some point in time. And it's way more important than this one that's coming up in a few days or weeks or whenever his trial is. And I think Paul wants to get them looking upon that one. And Paul's like, hey, the good news with that one is, however this one works out, my verdict in that one's set. My deliverance, my salvation is assured in that one. And that's the one I really care about, right? And so either outcome in this current trial is okay with Paul, right? Cause, but he wants to get them to have that same mindset. There's a difference between just saying, it's okay, we'll get through this, right? And Paul could have said that. And then there's a difference between saying that and then knowing that even if we don't get through this, it's okay. Because our hope lies beyond this, right? The goal's the same, though, Paul says, the desire is for Christ to be honored by life or by death. And speaking of death, that's where we get to the next couple verses. 
And this is kind of like the slogan verses, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't know if you've ever like, latched on to that verse or not. But um, I, I would kind of argue that when we go through this, this verse and we kind of latch on to it, we tend to focus a bit more on the whole to live is Christ part. Right? And so we, we try to apply it that way. So we're going to kind of skip over that part this morning a little bit and focus more on the, uh, the whole to die is gain thing. Because that, that's a little harder to, to grasp, I think, for us. That perspective. And yet that's the perspective Paul's trying to share with this Philippian church. And what you get in these verses is, if I'm to live in the flesh, this is verse 22, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And I hope you kind of understand what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, basically, given the choice between ongoing fruitful ministry and death, if I had my choice, I'm choosing death. And I don't know how that hits you. That hit me pretty strongly because I don't know if you've ever thought, well, you know what? Lord, just keep me alive and I'll do things for you here. There's some Psalms that are that way. It's not a whole horrible position to have. But um, what Paul is saying here is something else. He's saying, hey, not given the choice between rotting in jail and death, I'm choosing death. He's saying, given the choice between continued, fruitful, successful service and death, the choice is still death. He says, you have to make that choice. Why? Because that, that's kind of the whole point of the Christian faith, right? Like, what is it all about? What do we have in Christ? We have life, but not this life, right? And so he's saying, look, if I die, what happens to me? I get the life I've been longing for this whole life. I get Christ in his fullness. Not in the sense of the foretaste that I currently have. And so, I mean, there's no other choice, right? And so what Paul's saying is here is he's actually facing death is that the prospect of death is not a cause for a struggle of faith for Paul. Right? For Paul, as is for other people in Christ, if you really think about it, Death is the receiving of what our faith longs for. It's the culmination of our hope. And he says death isn't to be counted in the loss category because what you are gaining is Christ in his fullness. So that's kind of the thing. Do we long for that? Do we really believe that death isn't the end, it's just the transition to the life that we have been promised in Christ? Because that kind of changes your whole perspective on how you live this life. 
I do want to throw in a few what I call verbal footnotes at this point in time. Okay, so just hold that thought and we're going to have a few asides here. Um, things Paul isn't saying, and I don't want you to understand me as saying. Paul isn't saying then we should rush on recklessly headlong into death. Right? What I think he's getting at is we shouldn't let the prospect of death hold us back or cause us unnecessary anxiety. We shouldn't let the prospect or the fear of death stifle our faith and what God calls us to do. Because if you really think about it, Paul could have avoided some of the grief in his life. Right? He's in prison. Why? Because he's being vocal with his faith. If he just wasn't doing that, he could have avoided this current situation completely. And so could the Philippian church. They're going to suffer persecution, and Paul's preparing them for that as well. If they'd just been less vocal, if they had been more secretive, if they had just cared less about the glory of God and more about their own lives, they could have had it easier. Right? So we shouldn't rush headlong into death, but we shouldn't let the prospect of death stifle our faith. The other thing Paul isn't saying is that others left behind don't experience a loss. Right? He's saying, for me, as Paul, as a Christian, I don't count death as a loss. That's not the same as saying people who will experience my death won't feel a loss. In fact, later on in Philippians, there's a guy named Epaphroditus, and he was the guy the Philippian church sent to give Paul a gift and some you know, other stuff, and he got really sick, and he almost died. And Paul says, man, I'm so glad he didn't die, because that would have added to my sorrow. That would have increased my sorrow. So just understand, he's not saying that people who experience a loss and death are wrong. He is saying that we mourn, but not as those without hope. And Paul seems concerned with how the Philippian church would experience the loss of him. And I think that's why this whole passage is here in the first place. Paul's writing this not just to kind of pontificate out loud on the idea of death, right? He's trying to disciple and mature the Philippian church. And he's trying to change their perspective on how they're viewing his current situation. Okay. That's kind of where we get to this, this last little section. This is the tension between personal desires and others' needs here. So Paul states his desires to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, if it's up to me, my personal desire is death. I would rather be with Christ face to face. But they're not ready for that. So 
So he's willing to step down and back from that desire and say, hey, I'm okay with life too. For their sake. Paul is ready to go. They are not ready for him to go. They seem to be struggling with Paul's imprisonment and the prospect of his death. And so I, as I was reading this and thinking about this passage this last week, I just kept thinking of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Y'all are familiar with that, that story, right? I'll paraphrase it. We won't. It's in the end of Luke if you want to look, look it up. And so it's after Jesus' death. There's a couple of disciples. They're walking back home. And Jesus kind of catches up with them. They don't know it's Jesus, though, right? And he starts talking to them. Hey, you know, kind of what's going on? And these two disciples are, well, haven't you heard the, the news? We were following this one dude, his name was Jesus, and, and, and he died. And so, you know, guess that's over, right? And what does Jesus tell them? He says, you got it all wrong, right? He says, you've misunderstood the whole thing about the situation. And then he begins to lay out for them through all of Scripture what his death actually is, what it actually was. So, and he pretty much tells them, rather being... Rather than being the source of a loss for your hope, understand that the death of the Messiah is the source of all hope. Death isn't the end. Right? That's part of our gospel message, right? What do we celebrate Easter for? Death wasn't the end for Christ, and it won't be the end for those who are his followers as well. But he said to them, look, you got to understand, my death was necessary. It's the foundation of all hope. And so hopefully what you were catching throughout this whole thing and what I think Paul's trying to get the Philippian church to understand is whether in life or in death, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The real focus isn't on our situation and our outcome but on the glory of Christ. He tells them at the very start, however this trial works out, what am I really concerned about? Either way, Christ is glorified. Right? Whether I live or die, what happens? Well, either I'm living and doing fruitful ministry, or I'm dying and I'm in the presence of God praising him. Christ is glorified. And in the end, what he says is, hey, I... I really am starting to become convinced that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress. And understand, he could have said at the, at the very start, he didn't lead with that. He waited until the very end to say, hey, here's what y'all would probably consider to be the good news. I'm pretty confident that I'm getting out of here. And what does he focus on there? because it's for your progress and your joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
So even there, he says, hey, when you're reunited, understand it's not going to be about us. It's going to be about Christ being glorified. So as we move, move to kind of thinking about, so, so what are we to take away from this passage, from listening in on this conversation between Paul and the Philippian church? Um, well, I don't know about you, uh, but I, I need that sort of shift in my perspective as well. I'm, my concerns over life and death right now are mostly about me, right? And some of y'all, right? I'm wearing, I'm wiping my hands a lot and washing them and I'm wearing the masks, right? And that, that's kind of a selfish thing for me. It's, it's good, it's good practice. You should all do it, right? But my, my fear of death is mostly me-centered and my family-centered, And so, so kind, of, kind of playing off that idea of Paul's ready to go and the Philippians aren't ready for him to go, that's the kind of two things I think we should probably kind of think about here. Am I ready to go? Not in the bucket list sense of I've done everything that I wanted to do in life, but in the sense of am I actually prepared to stand before God? And can I say when I do, you know what, I'm fully convinced I will be unashamed. I mean, Paul sets the bar pretty high there, right? And the Bible focuses on that way more than I think we really give attention to. Christ preaches over and over and over in parables and other ways, hey, you're living in light of this time and this world. I need you living over in light of this other one. Because it's coming. And when it comes, you have to be ready for it. And so in one sense, you know, are you ready to go? And it, the first step is that, of course, the first step is having your faith and trust in Christ, right? That's the first step in being ready to go. To say, hey, there is no hope for me. I can't do it. I am a sinner. And when that trial and judgment comes... My verdict isn't that great apart from Christ. And so if that's where you're at, please uh, go to the connection point after this service. Go uh, online and respond. And someone will reach out to you and share with you the hope that we have in Christ. But here's the thing. Paul isn't just talking to unbelievers at this Philippian church, right? This is a church. He, He planted it. He knows these people. He's fully convinced. These are safe people he's talking to. Yet he's still telling them, hey, are you ready? And they're not ready. And that's why Paul says, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm having to stay around. You should be further along than you are. And so that's one thing. Am Am I ready to go? And then the second question, who around me isn't ready? Because Paul says, hey, I'm good with death, but you're not. So I've got to hang around. It's not about me. And so that's where our challenges this week come from. The first challenge is the challenge to identify someone who isn't ready to go and actively begin praying for their salvation and the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Right. So, so think of somebody. And if you don't know somebody, go introduce yourself to somebody because... 
at some point in time, you're going to find somebody who needs to know about Christ. That's, that's why we're here. In my earlier example of wanting to skip over all the terrifying bits in the book of Revelation, right, to get to the good stuff, you know what you don't actually get to, to do? Skip over all the terrifying bits, right? That's what awaits people apart from Christ. That's the sad reality that we'd rather not hear about or focus on. But I'm convinced that if we did, we may be actually moved to do something. Like the crazy idea of sharing our faith. Right. And that's the other thing too. It's been 2,000 years, right? And we're like, isn't it time yet? What does the Bible say God's wait, waiting on? He says, he got, God's not slow. He's got people who aren't ready yet. And he left his church to get them ready so he could come back. The second challenge for this week is to identify someone who isn't ready to go and begin a discipling relationship with them. Right, like I said, it's not just for unbelievers, it's for believers as well. And so Paul was gonna hang around to help disciple the Philippians. Your call is not just to make believers but to make disciples. That's the Great Commission, right? So identify someone who isn't ready and go and begin a discipling relationship with them. It could be small. Just meet with them once a week and read the Bible together. If you're looking for something more in-depth, reach out to uh, Sam Ross or Pastor Cass. That's kind of in, in, in their wheelhouse. If you're a parent and need help discipling a child of yours, be they, you know, school-aged or elementary or high school aged, right? We've got pastors here who would love nothing more than to help resource you to disciple the people in your house and the people outside your house. That's what we're here for. As a church. And maybe if we focused on the reality of death and its consequences. Maybe if we talked about more about that uncomfortable topic, we would be more moved to do something about it. Please pray with me this morning. Dear Lord, please grow us in our desire for your glory. Grow us in our longing for you and your presence, Lord, and your majesty, Lord. Teach us to desire your kingdom over our own personal kingdoms, Lord. Shape our hearts to be focused, whether facing life or facing death, Lord, to be focused on you and your glory, Lord. We know that you love us, Lord, and we are so thankful to have a God who, despite our sinfulness, despite our rebellion, despite our just living selfishly for ourselves, Lord, and all the mistakes that we make, Lord, that you love us. 
And you love us enough to have done something about it, Lord. You loved us enough to send your son to die for us so that we have hope for a life that extends beyond this one, Lord. It is in his name that we ask all things of you because we can, because of his work, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.